welcome to ChamberCast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast. I'm your host, Jack Genoway. We are on location today, as Mike Nelson would say, at the fabulous Northern Hotel in beautiful downtown Billings. One of the hottest topics in Billings right now is the future of management at Metro Park and whether or not it should continue to be managed by Yellowstone County or by a professional venue management business contracted by the county. We've looked at other communities to learn more about business versus government management and which management model is preferable for Billings. One interesting case study comes out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My guests today are the mayor of Sioux Falls, Paul Tenhaken, and Sean Pritchett, the finance director for the city of Sioux Falls. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me. Hey, thank you. Good to be on with you guys. And our celebrity guest host this week is Dan Brooks, the Billings Chamber's Director of Business Advocacy and someone who has done a lot of research on this topic. So I'll let you lead off, Dan. Take it away. All right. Thanks, Jack. And and thanks for joining us, gentlemen. So I'll just start out with uh, one of these very general questions that we've heard. And it's this claim that we've heard made by elected officials and others in the community who oppose privatization that that claim that it never works. So from your perspective, how are things working out in your community with professional venue management? Well, I'll start. Uh, we've had a you know professional company that's managed our uh, event venues since the early 90s, actually, uh, is when we moved over to that format. And quite honestly, it's pretty hard to picture a, a different type of an arrangement because uh, it's worked out so we're out famously in Sioux Falls. And again, and again, just for your listeners, people will be like, okay, why, why do a couple guys from Sioux Falls care? Why are we here? Why, why do you want to weigh in on this in Billings? You know, what's cool about government is that when there's a best practice you learn, you want to share it with other organizations. You want to share it with other communities. So, you know, when, uh, when the city of Billings said, hey, is there a better way to build a mousetrap when it comes to event management? Can you share your experience? That's really why we're here. No agenda other than say what's worked in Sioux Falls has worked really well. So, and, and I think what works well about having a private company that manages a city-owned asset is that they are heavily incentivized to make it a success. And this will come as a shock to no one, but government isn't always the most innovative uh, and and money motivated kind of entity out there. We're not driven by profit. And I was an entrepreneur before being the mayor and people would say, Hey, are, are you running city hall like a business? I'm like, well, no, because in a business you are trying to make profit and in government, you're not trying to make profit. You're trying to deliver a service for your residents, public safety, infrastructure, so forth. However, a third party management company, they are motivated by profit. They want to make venues successful. They want to make sure that the sponsorships are maximized, ticket sales are maximized, the efficiencies are in place because they are often and and they're often heavily incentivized to make sure the venues are a success. So that's why if there's a private company that can do something that the government then doesn't have to do and can get get out of that and focus on just core delivery of government services, water, infrastructure, public safety, that's what we are supposed to do and that's what we do and do well and we leave the other things to uh to outside parties. Excellent. Thank you. And and we're actually in the middle of campaign season here in Montana for state legislative races. We offer candidate questionnaire answers to our membership to let them know where candidates stand on the issues. And we often hear that, right? We have a very fiscally conservative community that says, look, government should just really focus on those core services, public safety, streets, water, sewer, et cetera. Uh, get government out of the rest of everything else. So I, I appreciate that sentiment. One, one quick follow-up then on that too, if if I can, is we sometimes use the example of our municipal golf course. We have city-run owned golf courses. But five years ago, we moved to a great company that specializes 
in golf course management all across the upper Midwest. And we've had our five most profitable years in the history of these courses. Our satisfaction scores from the players who are using them are higher than they've ever been because we realize like there are companies that know how to build a better mousetrap than we do. And like they, this is what they do. They know how to maximize rounds of play. They know how to maximize, you know, the, the way the turf is taken care of and the greens. So uh, this is not unlike that example, but, you know, in a, in a venue setting. Excellent. So Sean kind of want to wrap you in here. Uh, we were talking earlier today about meeting and corresponding with your professional venue management uh, manager. What's that relationship like between you as the owner of the facility and them uh, operating incentivized by profit? How do you how do you meet? What does that look like? How, what are the discussions that you have on a, on a pretty regular basis to make sure that things are running smoothly? So first and foremost, I think you have to look at them like a partner and less like a vendor. So they're an agent working and acting on behalf of the owner. And so with kind of that partnership mentality, it is kind of a rising tide helps, you know, rise the boats for everyone. And I think we're only successful when they're, they're successful and vice versa. And in order to, to achieve that, you have to have consistent communication and you have to have the same philosophies and what you're trying to accomplish. And you have to communicate that to your third party manager and then hold them accountable to what your expectations are. And that's going to be different in every community. You're going to value things differently. And so you have to be very, these, these third-party managers are very astute in handling that and working with public entities, which are often the owners of these facilities. So what does our communication look like? Uh, we probably communicate several times a day with the general manager and the assistant general manager for the facility. I have a purchasing manager who works extensively with their management as well as their kind of repairs and maintenance guru there to make sure that our facilities are staying top notch because the city is generally responsible for the capital improvements and major repairs and maintenance. And so uh, we handle all of that and we work very closely with them. And so we just absolutely believe close communication. You have to keep that going ongoing. And I think there's kind of this viewpoint that if you go to third party management, that suddenly you don't have a voice at the table or that you're kind of removed from that whole experience. And that's not the case at all. You're still very involved from a communication advising standpoint in terms of holding people accountable and, and talking about the things, uh, how you want to see things accomplished. Excellent. And as I look into it a little bit more, that's really what I see is that you know, the owner still has a heck of a lot of say in terms of the budget, the policies, the rate structure, the pricing, and who continues to have access to the facility. There's a lot of concern in our community that groups like the Nile or 4-H that don't maybe have a, a large profit margin will get priced out of the facility. But there's still a lot of say by the owner, whether it's city or in our case, the county. Uh, what does that look like in, in your community, Mayor? It's a ton of control. I mean, all, all the way down to you know, the current GM of our large, uh, our, our large facility, you know, similar to your first interstate bank uh, kind of facility there, we were involved in the hiring of that individual. I mean, we got to meet him. We were on the hiring panel. So uh, they didn't have to do that, but they know that it's very important to have local buy-in to whoever is going to be running this, this facility. So we're, we're very, very much involved in the decision-making to an extent. And what I mean by that is we're not micromanaging the place. We have hired a venue or we have hired an organization to manage this venue and accomplish two primary things. The first is 
have it make money. Okay. Can you, can you maximize the revenues? Is there a better way to do concessions? Can we sell more sponsorships? Can we get more events here? But the second thing they're, they're supposed to do is realize that that those venues exist for a community benefit. So there's a time to squeeze every dime you can out of something. And there's a time to say, Hey, but this is kind of a sacred cow for our community. We, we, this is important to our community. And because it is, um, they structure some things differently to say this venues, this event is different. This event is special. And so they, they know that that's also part of their role. And I know for us here in Billings, I know you have some, some events, you know, that are legacy events that have been here for a long, long time. Those management companies are incentivized to say, how can we continue to make this legacy event even more special? And oh, by the way, make some more money for the community, for the city at the same time or the county at the same time while delivering a great experience for, you know, the people who will visit or attend those events that have been part of the community for forever. I'm really glad you mentioned that that point about micromanagement, because I was about to jump in here and play devil's advocate a little bit because you, you were talking about how the owner still has quite a bit of control. But one of the reasons to go to private management structure is to get government out of the business of micromanaging an event center. So how do you structure the relationship between the owner and the manager to to strike that balance between having a certain amount of, of public control and while avoiding micromanaging the facility? Well, you know, it, it often comes up. So it's a third party manager and it's an independent third party manager, right? So we're always very careful that we don't pierce that veil in terms of controlling them. And so oftentimes they'll come and ask us a question. What do you think about this? And I'll oftentimes say, well, you know, this is within your role of responsibility to make a decision in regard to. However, these are some of the things that I think about when we think about this. And it helps give them perspective as to what our expectations are. And I think that's what what the communication It's not micromanaging. It's just communicating what you have for expectations and allowing them the opportunity to then deliver on what those expectations are. Yeah, and I, I want to just chime in on that, too, because. The, the manager for us in Sioux Falls, and specifically our GM, a gentleman named Mike, Mike's very astute in the politics of, of the venue. He knows it's one of our biggest assets. And so if an event reaches out to him and wants to come to our facility, one of the first calls he'll make, if it's somewhat controversial, is he'll call Sean or I and say, hey, such and such one, Snoop Dogg, good example. That is a real example. Can I use this example, Sean? Yeah. Sure. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg wants to come on, on 421, you know, 420, marijuana, blah, 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 whatever. He, well, Snoop Dogg wants to come, and uh, it's called the 420 Tour. And what do you guys think of this? Well, the community before it, and, well, they don't have to ask us that. They're there to make money. They knew it would sell tickets, but they want to make sure, hey, does this go against kind of the morals and values of the city? Do we want to promote this sort of thing in our venue? And we're like, hey, if people want to attend this, you know, we just legalized, you know, medicinal and there's an audience for this and go ahead. Thanks for asking us. But this is your show. And if you think it can make money, go do it. And they did it and it crushed it. And uh, you know, no considerable laws were broken. I don't believe during the show. So, yeah. Well, another example of that was during COVID when at, this is for our convention center side, but there was a, a doctor's association that was kind of anti-vaccine that was going to decide to to come in and, and wanted to host an event and they reached out and said, you know, what are your concerns? You know, anything, they have kind of astute awareness of what might become a political issue. And again, we appreciate you giving us a heads up, but we're not there to manage you in terms of micromanaging the facilities. I mean, we have some base thresholds like, is it legal? Does it present a public safety issue? These are the things we're taking into consideration, but we're also not, 
not there to to limit freedom of speech or to limit the type of events because what 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 might not be a great idea or something that I would be for someone else in our, in our community is very much in favor of and and so we try to stay out of that sort of thing we definitely stay away from you know managing employees to the extent that they they're responsible for managing employees we're responsible to holding them accountable to our expectations and to the contract that we have with them excellent full shizzle <laughs> can, I, can I say that? Is, that quoting is this dog? a fun podcast? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mayor, you mentioned uh, your manager there is uh, Mike. One of the concerns I, I think we have rising up in the community is that these corporations from out of state, they're going to kind of manage from afar. But really, I believe the reality is those managers come like Mike and live in the community. They're a community member. Kids go to school. They attend civic organization meetings. They get involved with things and really get to become a member of the community. Is that kind of the situation that you've experienced there? Yeah, for sure. And that's an expectation that we kind of set too. is because let's be honest, you know, Billings values and Sioux Falls values are not that far off. I mean, we're kind of cut from the same cloth in terms of our ag roots and our state. And, and, and so when we have a company that we're working with that's located out of Austin or Miami, you know, or LA, we know that uh, they maybe operate a little bit differently than we do here in the uh, upper Midwest or the Great Plains states. So in the case of, of, of Mike, uh, I remember very clearly when they brought him in and they wanted him to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me. And then they asked for, what are your expectations of the venue? And one of my responses was, we want you to be part of this community. You need to be part of this community. And that just doesn't mean through sponsorships and through, you know, kind of having a, a flag in the sand here, but we need to see you at something. We need to be part of our chamber. We need you to support local community events. And I think they've absolutely fulfilled that. Quite honestly, they wouldn't be successful if they didn't try to really invest and understand and acclimate to the community. It's a critical part of the success. So if they do, in fact, want to be successful, they're going to have to learn and understand that they need to be bought in to the, the values of the community. And I think it's important to point out too, like our primary communication is with our local general managers and our local like management. We rarely have communication or have a need to have communication, frankly, with corporate other other than, you know, once in a while, we'll get to a regional level to talk about contract negotiations when we're renewing contracts. And, you know, usually either once or twice a year, the regional manager for multiple states will come in and just how are things going? So they kind of want to hear if you're having concerns with local management, they, they want to hear that from you. We haven't, and um, it's nice that they check base, but really our local contacts is our local general manager. Excellent. No, that's great to hear that, you know, even the companies want to work with you to find what's going to be the right cultural fit for your community. So that's great. We took a tour of Metro Park earlier today. Kind of just want to get some quick feedback from you. Some of the pros and cons, you know, you mentioned there was uh, some nice elements that we have to our Metro Park facility, and then obviously some opportunities for additional investments or things like that. So what were your initial thoughts? Initial thoughts for me, you got some really great fairground facilities th uh, there and way better than our facilities in Sioux Falls and uh, being in an ag community as well. A little jealous of those because I'm sure you have some great stock shows and ag shows uh, at those facilities. One of the biggest areas of low-hanging fruit that I see is there's a lot of sponsorship opportunities in your primary facility. I mean, it's uh, there's blank canvases everywhere. Uh, and I can walk down an entire hallway and not see a single sponsor, not see a single ad, anything. And I'm not saying turn it into NASCAR, but I am saying there's an opportunity to make some money there. 
And that's a good example of, do cities know how to sell sponsorships? Is that what we do? Is that, should, should we be hiring government employees to sell sponsorships? Or should we rely on a company that gets what sponsorships are worth, knows what a, a laminate vinyl on this pillar uh, on the second floor, that should be worth 2,500 bucks. No problem. I mean, they know that stuff and sell that stuff and they sell it for us a lot. So our, our sponsorship revenue is, is a, a pretty big chunk for us every year. And I think you guys have easy six figures waiting there in that facility to be sold if the right you know manager can, can tackle that. Yeah, we have, we have obviously title sponsorship rights to the Premier Center, but we also have internal, we probably have five or six just named sponsors within the named spaces within our uh, existing facility. And so we've really tried to maximize that. And that's in addition to just generic sponsorships that we sell. And so our, our third party manager actually puts together a plan of what's available and what their thoughts are in terms of what they can sell for sponsorship and naming rights within the facility that we walk through every year. And they, they have worked with a company to identify the value of those and what they would sell them for. I mean, they actually, I remember one time I, they said, wrapping the handrails leading up to the second floor is worth this much. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That's when the NASCAR discussion came in. Like we're not wrapping handrails. I mean, but they said those can sell. And when you walk up the stairs, you know, each stair can have a thing. It's like that someone will buy that and it's worth this much. And we're like, well, that gets to be a little much too. But the point is there's revenue waiting to be made. If you have the right expertise that knows what things are worth and can sell it. Well, and I think that's just it, having the right expertise, uh, right? The right people looking at it, even myself, not in that industry or the realm, walking through the the halls with you guys, kind of light bulb moments left and right. And even the placement of like the primary sponsor of that facility, you know, uh, they've got their logos out of uh, kind of eye level view, right? So just to kind of have a, another look at, at that facility and the opportunities that's not government trying to make those uh, event facility management decisions. Mayor, are you as the owner ever asked to help out with selling sponsorships or do you ever feel the need to get involved in something like that? Well, uh, fortunately, I don't. Uh, And here's why. People try to get me involved in those decisions and it puts me in a real compromising spot. So as a let me give you a specific example. Let's say a a clinic or hospital comes to me and says, hey, we want to put a $10,000 banner uh, in the Premier Center. And I say, oh, great. Let's say that was my role, my responsibility. And then next year, they want a TIF for a clinic they're going to expand, or they want us to rezone some property. And they suddenly remind me, hey, we gave 10K to your venue last year. It puts us as elected officials in a really weird spot where there's some quid pro quo. And so for me to be able to say, if a clinic approached me and said, hey, we want to put $10,000 in your facility, I say, great. Talk to our event management company that manages the venue They'll determine what it's worth and see if it makes sense. So I'm out of that decision. Uh, it keeps me out of the, in between the ditches, as they say. And so I don't have to be involved in that level of decision. So there's never an opportunity for someone to point out some sort of quid pro quo or back scratching that may be happening. That is fascinating. I never would have thought about it that way. I got one more question here. You know, what would your advice be to our community regarding professional venue management and the decision that we face coming up? Well, I'll start and just say that the nice thing about entering into a decision with, uh, let's say you would decide to go with a private management company, it's not a forever decision. You know, it's, let's say it's a three-year contract. Bring in a company, get, do a three-year contract. They'll likely retain all the same employees if they want to keep working there because workforce is a grind right now, as we all know. 
So they're going to want to keep all your staff. There's not going to be any, you know, significant job changes, I would guess. But secondly, give it three years. This isn't a forever decision for the community. But I'm guessing uh, if I had a crystal ball after three years, you're going to be very happy with not only the quality of the events and the way the facilities run, but uh, what the bottom line could potentially look like. And then you assess at that point. And after that three years, you say, hey, this has worked well. This hasn't worked well. We're going to make some changes in the next contract. We're maybe going to switch companies altogether. This, you know, they did great, but we want to see what's out there. But I think uh, to me, it's a no brainer to get government out of managing these, these for-profit venues and bring in someone who's an expert. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think the timing wise is good. I know, I think there's been some conversations about making some fairly significant investments into these facilities out at the uh, complex there. And what a great time to, to think about that, because as you make decisions about what those investments might look like, you know, what, what's going to have the highest rate of return? What's going to create better experience for the community and residents? And, and what's going to ensure that return on investment is high? And ultimately, shouldn't we all be accountable for that in terms of, of how we uh, operate good government? And so I think this is just a great opportunity to think about in terms of timing, looking at that. So at the end of the, every episode, we like to do this thing we call the Rorschach questions. I'm going to ask an ink blot in the form of a question, and I'll just ask for your first response. So I what? love this, by the way. I love this. Let's do you go. want it, both of us to respond, or you just Same want to... Time? Yeah, do yeah, we just yeah. like both yell out something? Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll start go. with the mayor for each one. Okay, okay, here we go. He's, he's used to the gotcha, gotcha questions, right? Totally. Okay. What's the best concert you've ever been to? Foo Fighters, easy. Uh, 21 Pilots. I, I missed the opportunity to go to Foo Fighters when they were in Billings, and I'm kicking myself ever Dude. since. I, man. And, and they'll never be the same. Taylor Hawkins Pass, you'll never see the Foos in their true form. You missed out, brother. All right, so you guys are on the, on the road for, for work right now, and people have differing opinions about staying in hotels. We're in a really nice one right it's now. Great hotel. So some of them can be a little bit on the, on the uncomfortable side, so what is your favorite travel hack to make a stay in a hotel that much better oh my gosh that's a good question favorite travel hack i'm going to do it right after this podcast i find a place to run and i go on a run to see the community best way to see communities on your two feet i'm gonna go on a run after this one that's really close to a bar <laughs> totally different answers there <laughs> and kind of a similar question what's your favorite vacation destination man any place with the beach i know sean's gonna say that too but um after Billings, any place with the beach. Yeah, absolutely. Any place with the beach. The timing of your visit is a little bit fortunate because we're, uh, the fair is going on right now. So what is your favorite fair food? Oh, I would have to say funnel cake, man, with a little strawberry topping. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, definitely cheese curds. No question. All right. Thank you both very much. Well, thank you both for joining us on the podcast today. We appreciate your time coming and, and sharing your experience uh, with our community. Yeah. yeah. Thank you both very much. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you to Mayor Ten Haken and Mr. Pritchett for joining us. And thank you to Dan for guest hosting. We recorded this episode the day before our Chamber AM event on this topic. If you missed it and you want to learn more, that event was recorded. So we will link to that in the show notes, along with an entire resource library we have developed on this topic. If you would like to advertise with us, suggest a topic, or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. Please rate us on your preferred podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts, because there is something here for everyone.